This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On this week's episode, we're going to be going into our fourth installment of the A24 Retrospective. If you want to go back and listen to our old ones, we've done three others. We've done The Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III, that's episode 156, Ginger and Rosa, 158, and we jumped ahead in the queue and did The Green Knight, 159, which Dakota really liked, but I was on the fence about. Um, this week we're going to be doing, or we're going to be looking into Spring Breakers. Now Spring Breakers is actually a pretty important film in the A24 history. The quality of the movie, however, has been debated. If you go onto Letterboxd, there's hilarious reviews, which I quite enjoyed, um, ranging from it's super feminist to it's a piece of crap. So today Dakota and I will be discussing, is it a great work of, you know, feminist perspective or is it a piece of crap um how you doing dakota i'm doing great that uh first off excellent job plugging the previous episodes love that yeah um, i did a little research i went back because i went dakota does this i'm totally gonna do it too <laughs> well uh much appreciate it and uh yeah that's that's an uh, that's a great introduction uh some of the letterbox reviews are quite hilarious this is the type of movie that i feel leads itself to meme reviews and, mm-hmm. uh, and I can, uh, I can definitely see how you really enjoyed yourself reading all those reviews. It was hilarious. Like some of, some of them are very like, you know, this, this, like this belongs in an art gallery. This is this as important as the suffragette movement kind of thing. And then you've got <laughs> others which are just, I mean, I wish I could give it less than half a star, which I find, I find those kinds of movies very interesting, but it's also I think very A24 or what would we be what we would now consider A24. Like I think that's why this movie is quite important in their history is that it's kind of exactly what we think an A24 movie is in that it's very in like it's very dis- divisive just as the Green Knight was. Um uh that's well, it's not their most recent now because Lamb came out, which neither of us have seen just yet. But mm-hmm. um, anyways, before we dive into any discussion, let's go over a few of the details of the film. So first off, it was released in it had a limited release in New York and L.A. in on the 15th of March, 2013. And then it had a wider release uh, in the States on 22nd March, 2013. The director is Harmony Corrin, who is also the husband of one of the actresses, Rachel Corrin. And along with Rachel, there's Selena Gomez, Vanessa Hudgens, Ashley Benson, and James Franco, whose inclusion in the movie is interesting as the years have gone by. Um, But it's also worth mentioning those four, at least I think the three were like former Disney star, you know, children, teen stars, um, which I think is pretty important into the film. If you haven't seen Spring Breakers, it's about four college girls. Their names are Britt, Candy, Cotty, and Faith. Uh, and they are incredibly desperate to go on spring break, but they don't have enough money. So, as any poor college student would do, you decide you're going to hold up a chicken shop with some water guns. That's what I did when I wanted to go on spring break in in my university days. And then while they're on spring break, they end up, they go partying and, you know, do all the things that a Florida spring break would afford you, or as you can imagine, and they get arrested while they're there. Uh, I believe it was on narcotics charges, and they can't afford the fee or the the fine, rather, to get out of jail and to kind of go home. So a drug dealer, a local drug dealer whose name is Alien, who's played by James Franco, and rapper, and rapper. Apologies, yes, a, a great rapper, and he's got cornrows and a grill, the whole thing. Uh, he decides to bail them out of jail and. Then, in turn, he basically enters them into this world of drugs, violence, crime. As the days go on, a few of them drop off. Uh, but that's, I mean, I don't know how much spoiler we want to get into this. It is a pretty old movie at this point, though. It's almost 10 years old. Um, but we have uh, Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson's characters. They're the ones who kind of stick it through into the end. In terms of how A24 got this movie, they actually weren't the only distributor on this one. They had a relationship with a company called Annapurna Pictures, um, who purchased the distribution rights in September 2012. And now before this one, they were doing the festival circuit. So they did a three-minute preview at Cannes. 
They were at Venice. They were at TIFF. They ended up going to South by Southwest in 2013, just before the uh, actual theatrical release. It was a really big hit at film festivals. Like I heard at TIFF, it won quite a few awards at, or at least the main award at South by Southwest. There were queues out the door for this one. Like it was a lot of hype leading into Spring Breakers. And I think partly it was because specifically Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hudgens being former teen stars um, or Disney stars specifically, it was very like, oh, they're playing like they're going to be in bikinis and it's going to be spring break. That's kind of interesting. But as I said, this was really important for A24's trajectory in film because it ended up being, I would say, the first real A24 movie, like the first two that we discussed, Glimpse Inside, Charles Swan, In the Mind of Charles Swan, and Ginger and Rosa were kind of you know, bit middling and like, they're just kind of finding their own identity. But um, this was the third one pretty soon after that it got um, acquired. And yeah, I I would, I would say it's, it's pretty important for them. What do you think about that, Dakota? Yeah, I I think that's a a really great point because now when you think of a 24 films, you, you think of a few different things. One, you think of, it's probably got a bit of a smaller budget compared to most releases. It usually skews more to the drama side of things. You maybe sometimes with a bit of a, a, a genre bent to it, something more thrillerish, horrorish, something that is just not your average cinema, obviously a little bit more adult geared. And I think most importantly, it's going to be a bit of a weirder film. And, and, I, and I think you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head with this as sort of setting the tone of what A24 was going to be because it really checks off all of those boxes. You have Harmony Kareen, who who is a director who is very well known for putting out some very out there films. And this was kind of like his big breakthrough. He had done stuff like uh, Gummo and Trash Humpers, and he wrote the 90s film Kids. So he definitely has a reputation for being really out there and avant-garde, almost John Waters-esque. Um, and, and I think him making basically what amounts to his mainstream film is still pretty out there compared to to most directors, even at their weirdest. So I, I think this was like a great kicking off point for A24, like, like you said. And you look at the movies that come after this, and they really sort of seem to follow this trend where Charles Swan and Ginger and Rosa, I, I almost think is, it was just more so like, hey, these movies were available and we're trying to get to, to buy some films. Let's just get these ones. Whereas this sort of seems like the type of movie that they want it to get. Absolutely. And I, there was an interview that um, Harmony did with Rolling Stone, and he talked about how he wanted to make a radical movie. I'm paraphrasing here, but he wanted to make a radical movie with a commercial release. And I think in saying that, it's that kind of, when I when I read that, I thought that's pretty much what A24 is. Like, it's taking radical, seemingly indie art house movie. Like, I mean, The Green Knight's a really good example of that, um, you know, almost 10 years later. It's a movie that was it's pretty out there and it's um i get i hate saying the word art house because i feel like it just makes it sound a little bit pretentious but then you give it a, a release similar to any other movie that we would have in theater not like just in art house cinemas like not just in indie cinemas um in in big cities like it, it was playing in canada is like playing at the local cineplex and that kind of thing um so what did you think of the movie in general let's start there just like did you like it uh, your your review on letterbox was kind of like middle bit positive i would say you i think you gave it three and a half was it three and a half stars yeah so this this was the second time i'd seen it i watched it a couple mm-hmm. years ago when i was just trying to get caught up on some movies that i hadn't seen before that i had missed and this was being one of them, it was probably in preparation to watch uh, Harmony Korean's follow-up movie, The Beach Bum, which came out a couple years ago, starring Matthew McConaughey. And and I remember watching it and being a little confused because this movie really doesn't have a ton of plot to it. Like I know mm-hmm. you, you sort of describe the plot, but it really is is so much more about uh, a feeling. It's it's the movie just sort of feeling its way through. And yeah, there's different plot beats of you know they they rob the local restaurant on the college town. They pay their way to go down to Florida for spring break. They get in trouble. Like there there actually is plot points, but it doesn't actually feel very plot heavy. So when you're watching it, it's sort of easy to kind of let the movie sort of just glaze over you because not much is really happening. There isn't a ton of dialogue. You're getting 
like almost Terrence Malick-esque shots where it's just sort of the camera wandering around in and out of the conversation, not really paying attention too much. There's flash forwards, flashbacks, overlays, all this sort of really different artsy stuff. And so if you're not paying really close attention, I can I can very easily see how this movie just sort of passes you by and at the end of it being like, yeah, like, I don't know, it was, it was sort of fun to look at. The the music was was really intense and interesting you know they got skrillex to do a bunch of the music and you know you got these four attractive young girls all in bathing suits the whole movie and then james franco being a complete weirdo all that sort of stuff so it's sort of interesting the first time i watched it i think i was i was it's so tough to remember my exact feelings but i think i was mildly positive on it but also had reservations about it and when i rewatched in preparation for this i feel like the movie was a lot more simplified for me. I understood it basically, I think probably because I knew what was coming. It was easier to pay attention a bit more and just sort of get lost in the mood a little bit, which is very often, you know, a lot of times people talk about movies without a ton of plot or a confusing plot. Sometimes it's a lot easier to watch them a second time or, or multiple viewings because you're not so caught up in being like, all right, wait, what exactly is happening now? What's the relationship? Where are we? All this sort of stuff that the details get you bogged down and you could just sort of enjoy the aesthetic of it. And this is definitely a movie where just sort of enjoy the aesthetic of it and you'll probably have a better experience with it. I was trying to find, there's an article, one of the articles I read last night about A24. Um, it's like what you said there about a f- the movie being a feeling versus like a beginning, middle and end kind of thing. Um, there was an actor, I want to say it was Jonah Hill, but I I could be wrong, but it was like an A24 actor who said like, what makes an A24 movie, which is something that you and I have discussed before. And he said, it's a feeling like an A24 movie is a feeling. It's not necessarily, and I, I go back to the green Knight, which is actually a really good example. It's, it's a feeling like you just come away from it and you feel a certain way about it. And the aesthetic of, of spring breakers definitely is that like, it's, a lot of people were using the term like um, it's like a kind of a fever dream. And I would really mm-hmm. agree with that. Like it does have that feeling of it's like grays and blues in the back, but then these like really bright neon accents, whether it's, you know, the bikinis that the girls wear literally the entire movie, by the way, they like, there's very few moments of them wearing anything but bikinis. Um, and it's just, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of my thoughts on it, I was very, my expectations going into it were that I was going to hate it. And that's probably not fair. <laughs> it's not a good attitude going into a movie. Um, but it just was never a film that really caught my eye or made me be like, oh, I want to watch that. Like I, I'd heard about it in terms of it being an A24 film. My takeaway from it in the end is just kind of, it's very, almost very indifferent. Like, I don't hate it. I can't say I hate it. I can't say absolutely I don't like it, though. Um, I did make a comment to you, Dakota, yesterday that I said, I thought I felt like a little dumber after watching it because it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't, f- like, you're right in the sense there's, there's no plot. There's no no real plot anyways. Like, it doesn't, there's no turn in the movie. There's nothing kind of big that happens. But at the same time, the feeling I get at the end of it is probably a feeling similar to if you did go on a spring break like that, where you just kind of feel a bit numb. You feel a bit like whatever, like you're a little tired and you're just like, okay, yeah, that happened. Like it was good and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of for me. I, I'm not, I think the idea of the movie is interesting in that the cast is interesting like I think that Harmony Corin he or Corinne, he knew what he was doing by casting, you know, the the you know, Selena the Gomez Disney and girl, Vanessa yeah. Hudgens. Yeah, like he knew what he was doing by by putting those guys into that movie. Because especially I would say somebody like Selena Gomez, who has a very, you know, uh, I mean, it's in the film too, is she's like has a very kind of angelic, very um virginal way about her. And so seeing her like hit a bong in, in a film, like at that time too, in 2012, it would have been very like, holy crap, like she's getting high. Like Selena Gomez doesn't do those kinds of things. Um, And so I think in that sense, that's kind of what he was almost pushing on because if you put any other actresses in it, does it really have the same effect? Because then you just kind of have a bunch of girls going out 
and having a spring break. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like mm-hmm. it was a bit of a push. And I did read an article where Rachel Corin, he, she, or yeah, Corin, she had to talk to um, the other actresses and basically be like, no guys, like trust him. He knows what he's doing, like have faith in him. And um, it's not going to be kind of smut. It's not going to be gratuitous and all that kind of stuff. Um, which leads me to think like, she knew that it does look kind of weird. Like Harmony is a bit, older like i think he's let's call it like 15 some odd years older than those girls and the yeah. way that he shoots it is very i i think some you could make an argument it's gratuitous but you could also make an argument that that's just kind of what spring break is um i mean i've never been to a florida spring break so i don't know <laughs> to be completely honest um but yeah i i can see that being the reality of it but i think that kind of leads on to a really the biggest point of discussion about this film is is it like a feminist work or is it does it um do, like objectify women do you have any uh, like feelings on that one way or another that it's an interesting question and one i don't know if i'm fully equipped to answer being uh, a guy that's so, not true i think you can i think you can have an opinion <laughs> on it like well thank you i think this is interesting because I, movies like this where they almost exist to be provocative for the sake of being provocative, which I'm not saying that to be derogatory or anything like that. I, I think we definitely need art to provoke people to get a reaction out of them, to start a discussion. And I think this is the type of movie that is trying to do that. They want you to feel something very intense. They want you to be like, why are these young girls who are supposed to be good role models being in movies, you know, scantily clad and doing drugs and having sex and and all that sort of stuff. And and they want you to be angry or Mm. frustrated or whatever it is. And then on the flip side, a lot of it is about sort of at least, you know, I would, I would say all four of the girls have a certain amount of agency where they are choosing what their destiny is. They are not put upon. They are not like, I'll, I'll give a bit of spoilers here, but really this whole episode should be spoilers <laughs> if you have not seen the movie, but you know, Selena Gomez, her character Faith, which, you know, is her name is not a coincidence that her name is Faith. Uh, we see her early on in church groups and things like that. But after they get out of jail, bailed out by Franco, right away she senses that, like, this guy is not a good guy. He's a dangerous person. He can't be trusted. And it seems like she isn't the type of person, other than at these parties, doesn't seem to be, you know, drinking a lot, or isn't doing a ton of drugs, all that sort of stuff. She decides right away that she's like no this isn't for me i'm going home and you know alien james franco's character tries to convince her to stay and at the end of it she's like no i'm going home and so she does no one stops her the girls say goodbye they put her on a bus she goes away and then they all stay and then later on when uh rachel crane's character gets shot she kind of gets out of this trance of you know the haze of how much fun it's been and is like you know what this isn't right for me either. And she leaves as well. And then you have the last two, Ashley Benson character and, and Vanessa Hudgens character, and they make a decision to stay and to go through with a hit on a rival drug dealer of Alien who had shot uh, Rachel Corrine's character. So all of these women are making choices. No one is stopping them. No one is impeding them. No one is forcing them to do anything. They are all doing things at their own free will to the point where Huge, huge spoiler here. When they go to do the hit on the rival drug dealer, right away, Alien gets shot and dies. They continue and go on with it and do the entire hit themselves, which they, at at that point, as soon as he got shot, they could have jumped back into the boat that they came in on and sped away and run back to wherever their college town is. And that was the end of their story sort of thing. But they don't. They, They decide to continue. They decide to do that. And I think... I think, you know, this is, this is, you know, me reading and understanding feminism on an academic level. It's the idea, the concept of women having their own choice and agency to make whatever choices, good or bad, whatever you see fit on their own without being forced to, or having it put upon them in any sort of way. The fact that these young girls are all able to make their own choices, however they see fit 
sort of does make it a bit of a feminist film, I guess, question mark. <laughs> I don't know. I, I sort of feel like I'm rambling a little bit here, so I'm going to shut up and, uh, and let you answer the question now. I mean, first of all, I don't think me being a woman makes me more qualified to answer a question about this, uh, in my humble opinion, just as I think if you ask me a question about like men's issues, I feel like you offer a different perspective, but I, you know, everyone's, everyone's opinion is valid, Dakota, is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. And isn't that Thank feminism? You. That's just, it's, it's, you know, we're all living in harmony here and it's fine. And that's the thing. We're all living in harmony's <laughs> world. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> uh, um, okay. In terms of the feminist thing, I mean, I think, okay. The first thing I think that stands out in the film is, is really how the women are dressed and the women are filmed. I think that's kind of a first issue to address is that like, I'm, I kind of was a little bit flippant about it, but they really are wearing bikinis, like string bikinis, basically the entire time that they're there, you know, mm -hmm. they just kind of, and it's really gross. They sit on a bathroom floor. In like it's 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 disgusting. It's not a, a COVID thing. <laughs> this is my own point of don't sit on bathroom floors. That's gross. Um, but you know they're they're walking around in uh, I think they're supposed to be in St. Pete's in Florida, and every woman is dressed in a bikini or not in a bikini. Like they're either naked or you know whatever, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, casual sex. There's a lot of drug taking and drinking and, and whatever. And I think that, I think that the purpose, like the intention behind showing women like that was kind of shock value. It was this idea of, um, you know, why are you looking at it and judging them? Because if this were a, a film with like a bunch of dudes and the guys were going off and having a bunch of casual sex and doing a bunch of drugs and doing that, like, you know, we wouldn't really, we wouldn't really pay much mind to it. We would just be like, oh yeah, that's, that's, you know, boys being boys on spring break. And I think that that's kind of what Harmony was trying to like provoke that, that concept of why are you okay with it when it's men, but when it's a bunch of girls, like why can't they also go out and just have fun? Like, yes, the girls are topless and having alcohol poured on them um, and things like that. But they seem to be having a good time. Like they seem to be having fun. And who are we to judge that? And I know the time that like you and I grew up, that was looked at like the words like slut and whore and that kind of a thing. Those were like thrown around pretty freely about girls who acted a certain way. Um, and I think right now, this generation of young people in high school, university, I don't think that they feel the same way, but I do think the kind of undercurrent issues of men can act a certain way, but women can't um, without being judged is still there. And for me, I, I kind of fall on, but like I it's I'm very fence sitting on this one because on one hand, I don't, I personally wouldn't dress like that or do things like that, but that's just me. And I know that there's plenty of women out there who would and take a lot of strength from doing that. Like there is something to be said about having, ownership and agency, as you said, um, over your decisions. And if you want to be somebody who goes out and has fun and, um, you know, your, or sorry, I should say your version of fun is to go around and, you know, have a bunch of sex and do a bunch of drugs and drink a ton. If that's your idea of fun, then why can't it be as, like, obviously you take on all of the consequences and effects that that could possibly have. I take a bit of and this is, I think, a very 2021 lens on it, though. It's I do find it creepy that the director is Harmony Corinne. Like, that kind of makes me be a bit, when he's shooting it, the film is very much so shot in the, the guise of, like, what a 14-year-old boy would want to see. Like, it's a lot of- It very of, much has a male gaze to it, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, maybe it's, it's, maybe that's the intention, is that that's how we're supposed to shoot it, but- um, it just makes it feel, it makes it feel kind of creepy and it makes it feel like you're taking, yes, these girls have ownership over their decisions, but the way that you're showing it is in a very male way. And 
Also, I, I watched an interview with um, the director of Zola, uh, Janixa Bravo, and she was saying how she was choosing purposely like a type of a lens that she was choosing because she knew that the women were going to be naked a lot. Like there was going to be a lot of flesh shown. So she wanted to mm-hmm. choose a lens and lighting and filming it in a way that was very complimentary towards a woman, that it was going to mm-hmm. be very like very beautiful versus sexy. But in the fact that it's beautiful, it is sexy in that way, but not sexy in the way that maybe men would think of it. Um, and speaking of Zola, it's like, it's an interesting thing that this film, it's pure female nudity. And I don't think we see any male nudity in this one. Um, I could be wrong, but like, and like again, no, Zola, no. We, there's, there's a montage of male nudity in, in, yeah. uh, in Zola. So I, I think it's, I think spring breakers is an interesting film in the sense of, it, it's a, definitely a timestamp on this kind of movie um, of what was deemed quote unquote okay at the time. And again, maybe, maybe it's having that male gaze. Maybe that's what makes it more interesting to talk about. Um, and if a female had done it, you know, and I, and I never want to get into that. I am that trap of saying only a woman can direct this kind of movie. Cause I don't think that that's true either. I, I think, you know, you should be able to direct just a, a man can direct this, but a woman can too, but it will be very, very different. Like they will come out as two very, very different films. Um, and it's a choice. Like it's a choice that you make. So I don't know. I, I don't think like, I, I don't think I have really one way or the other. I don't, I don't think it's a work of feminist, like a feminist masterpiece at all. Um, but at the same time, I can see where some people might think that there's a lot of, feminist kind of issues being brought up in that film yeah so no i think i think that's completely fair and and it's it's the type of movie where like i was saying where i i feel like this is a movie that was made entirely to provoke people and is that a sentiment that you sort of agree with yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so it, it's it's a type of movie where they just want a reaction from you, good or bad, and they're kind of hoping that it's a bad reaction. And and maybe the people that have a good reaction, or maybe the people that shouldn't be having a good reaction to it. Sort of like when when people look up to uh, the Joker or Tyler Durden or stuff like that, where it's like, okay, but why do you look up to these people? That's kind of not really the point, and you're missing it altogether. And if you're looking up to Alien or whoever else in this film. Why are you doing that? What what's what's the impetus to feel that way? Where are you coming from? And maybe you're sort of missing the point of who these people are, that they're not supposed to be good people. Would you apply that to the four female characters? I mean, they are with the exception of Selena Gomez's character, we'll take her out of it. But would you kind of apply the same thing where it's you look at those girls and say, like, should young girls be looking up to that and thinking, Yeah, I want to go on spring break and do shit like that too? Yeah, I, I think I, I would absolutely kind of categorize it in the same way where it's it's obviously not just a, a male thing where there are mm-hmm. bad role models to have. There are also bad female role models to have. And like if you want to, you know, have fun and, and party and do drugs, like I don't care. It's the point when you start, you know, robbing people and crashing weddings and throwing <laughs> people through wedding cakes and murdering people. Then Then suddenly it's like, all right. You know, these aren't people that you should be looking up to. This is no longer uh, girls just, you know, under the stress and rigors of school, just wanting to let loose and have some party parties and and do what they can't really do on their own campus because, you know, they'll be judged or shamed or whatever. And, and then as soon as it sort of crosses that line, it no longer becomes this is how you should spend your vacations to uh, <laughs> these women should all be in jail. <laughs> Yeah, actually, they really and should not be. just for having cocaine at a party. Yeah, that that I found that to be kind of interesting, and in that the reason that they got arrested was not had nothing to do with the robbery that they did. Like when I saw, mm-hmm. so I I did watch a trailer ahead of time, which I very rarely do, but I watched it before, maybe last week or something like that. But um, when I saw them getting arrested, I really thought it had to do with with them getting the sticking up the the chicken shop like that's what i thought it was for and then it kind of turns out oh no it's it's for drugs and i was like oh that's different you know because also then too wouldn't everybody in that party have gotten 
arrested for drugs. So why were those four girls tried like separately? Do you know what I mean? Like I, I'm thinking about this probably way too much in that sense. I think those details are probably not what um, the intention was to be focused on, but um, on the point of you saying like these movies are meant to provoke to you, does that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like should a good movie just exist solely to provoke you or should a, a movie have something to say? Um, that's a great question. And, and I don't think I, I, I quite know. I, you know, like I would put this in the category of movies that just exist to provoke you on a scale of slightly better than other movies that just exist to provoke you. Like I'll think of something like the human centipede or something like that, where they yeah, just want yeah. a visceral disgusting reaction from you where that's not something I'm, I'm, I'm into or interested at all. But on the flip side, as someone who is interested in art and, you know, went to school for that sort of subject. Uh, I think as long as art is being made between consenting adults, whatever the subject matter may be, whatever medium it may take, I do not believe that like whenever, you know, some, you know, this is a question I was going to ask you in a little bit. Uh, this, this idea of this shouldn't be made or why was this allowed? <laughs> I don't believe in that. Like any, any type of art, as long as someone has some reason to do it, I have, I have, I have zero reason behind it being made and money being given for it and people giving money to view it, consume it, whatever the media may be. And sort of my question to you is, do you believe that this is a quote unquote dangerous movie? And do you believe that there is such a thing as dangerous movies? I definitely don't think this is a dangerous movie. I don't think that, um, it's not as dangerous. Like it's 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 the same as uh, I don't I don't know if you ever grew up like watching those um, infomercials like Girls Gone Wild. You remember those like mm-hmm. <laughs> those commercials Late you'd at night see? They come yeah. On TV, yeah, yeah. I was a big uh, infomercial watcher as, as a young person, um, and to me, it's no different. Like if you were going to allow that to be an ad, then I'm pretty confident it's okay to make it a movie and. I I think I'm with you on I don't think there is such thing as a dangerous movie or that and I'm maybe I'm conflating the two but this idea that um a movie shouldn't be made. I I don't believe in that either. I think that when you start saying things shouldn't be made or you know it's that censorship basically isn't it? Like it's just censorship. And that's never encouraging in the art community or the greater society at large, because we need people to kind of push the boundary. But one thing I'll say is there's, you know, a movie that just recently came out in theaters um, is Titan, Titan, Titan. And that and, um, you know, uh, Julie, I can't pronounce her last name, Ducone, I think it's Ducono. You know, her previous film, Raw, and then you look at like the Cronenberg kind of things. Those are films that I think are meant to provoke. Those are like they have scenes in them that are meant to give you like a like you're supposed to wince as an audience. You're supposed to want to cover your eyes and maybe cover your ears a little bit. But they still say something at the end of the day. Like they exist not only to provoke you, but they also exist to make a commentary on something maybe a little bit larger and be fairly clear about it in the sense. And I'm not trying to say spring breakers is bad because it's, it's not as ambiguous or disambiguous. It's not as in your face and spoon feeding. Cause I don't think anybody who watches, you know, those movies or Cronenberg's movies would ever say that they are spoon feeding you. But I think there's an intelligent way to make provocative film. And I don't necessarily think spring breakers is an intelligent way to make provocative film. It just feels like provocation for prov- prov- provocation's sake. And I do have a bit of a problem with that. Um, That's fair. Yeah, I have, like, I just think it's kind of cheap. Like, I think it's a little, I mean, and I would say the same for for certain movies that are, like, violent for the sake of violence, you know, just being, and I love violent movies, but, like, there are some that you watch it and go, this is the whole point of it. It's just being violent for violence sake. Like, there's no other reason for it. Um, That's interesting, though. It's interesting sort of kind of going off of that because so often 
violent movies for the sake of violence get a pass, whereas movies that are sexualized or have sexual content for the sake of having sexual content don't get the same pass, which has, I think, more has to do with uh, North America, specifically America's puritanical takes on sex more than anything. Absolutely. I think that that's like a big... um I say American, but I think Canada, obviously, like, I agree. I think it's more North America at large, but like, if you've ever seen movies on cable television, you know, I don't know what the rules are now, but I always remembered watching, say, Die Hard on TV, like on city TV when you're a kid and they would bleep out violence. But yet in another scene, you can see, you know, um, What's it? Oh, John McClane. I was like, what's his name? John McClane. You can see John McClane just shooting up a bunch of people. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's, yeah. that's okay. But saying motherfucker, that's, that's a bit, no, we can't have that. Or showing a butt. Yeah. And, and like there was what, the movie, the rock, Nicholas cage, the rock, like there's one very, 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 very brief and not at all gratuitous sex scene. I wouldn't even call it a sex scene. But apparently, like, that caused a bit of a stir because they were like, well, how can we show this on TV? So, like, some CV cuts cut that out. But yet you can put, like, that green jelly thing and shove it into a guy's mouth and have his head basically dis- disintegrate from acid. And that's okay. <laughs> like, it's it's very odd the way that we I, – I, like, I completely agree with you. It's a North American thing that we look at violence and sexual – um, content in very very different ways and I, I mean you could point that back to a feminist view as well and saying well violence tends to be a more masculine thing sexualization tends to be a more female thing so is it we're kind of cupboarding you know female sexualization versus um versus men just blowing shit up and you know beating the crap out of each other ripping each other's heads off that's okay to watch uh, so I, you know, and it's, it's kind of weird how we grow up and like, I'm neither of us are parents, but you know, you would have grown up watching with your parent being like when any, any kind of like sex scene would come up, your parents would probably be like, okay, close your eyes. I like, don't, don't look at this. Yeah. <laughs> but when it, but when it was something, you know, incredibly violent, there's, there's no, there's nothing like you don't, they don't say anything. Right. And I, that's always, that's a, like, that's a very interesting kind of split and, I mean, Spring Breakers has some violence to it, but it's not very violent, though. I wouldn't say for as much as it's supposed to be like set on crime and and violence. Like, there's people who get shot, but it's not it's not like gross violence, is it? No, not not in not in the way that like so many other movies, action movies specifically, are. The other point that I I, I thought was interesting about the movie, and like, and I go back to the casting quite a bit, is um, using Britney Spears music. Because this was 2012, yes. so this was around the time that Britney was really in the in the Not midst of her. But she was also like in the midst of her meltdown at that time. Like 07 was a yeah. real crashing point for her, and then she kind of had a bit of a comeback, but was still a bit on edge. And and it's interesting to look at a decade later where we are now with Britney, where people look at it and be like, "Wow, we were really wrong about the way that we treated Britney Spears back then, like as a media and as a society and whatnot. But it's like, it was very, to me, a very, um, what's a purposeful choice to use Britney's music throughout. Like, I think it's twice that they sing her songs, right? Like in the movie. Yeah. Um, And I find that like, again, it's, it's Harmony Corrin trying to just, provoke for provocation's sake it's just being like hey like if you didn't get the fact that selena gomez vanessa hudgens ashley benson were former teenage stars like we're gonna throw you another teenage star who you will know of britney spears um was that something that you kind of clocked and thought oh that's interesting i didn't i didn't make a connection like that Mm. i think it was more so like 2012 just Britney Spears just wasn't as popular then. She she kind of had her peak, and then mm-hmm. everyone was making fun of her. As we now realize, what a terrible, terrible thing it was to do as a society as a whole. And she's now sort of receiving a bit of a redemption story now that we're learning more about her struggles. But at the time, just like it wasn't cool to like Britney Spears yeah. or things like that. And the fact that you have you know uh, two twice in this movie, like you said, early on when they're. Uh, hanging outside a restaurant, whatever, and I, I forget what song that they they're singing of hers. Um, oh my god! I think it's "Hit Me, Baby, One late, More Time." 
I think it's Hit Me. You're baby. right. It is. It is Hit yeah. Me, Baby. One more time. And then later, when they are at a alien's house, and he sits at a piano, and they ask him to play something sweet and tender, uh, and he's like, "Oh, you want to see my emotional side, don't you?" And I go, "Yeah." So he starts playing every time which is like a very ballady song mm -hmm. and then he's just singing it and then the girls join in with him and then they start showing a montage of all the robberies that they're doing it just it, it's, it's such a surreal moment where it really sort of sticks out and i remember a big part of the discourse about it was like ran right this middle of this really weird provocative movie they sing a britney spears ballad and and that was just sort of like a big thing and I wish I, I I thought about this for our upcoming bit of uh, would you rather or or pairing it with something where I was like, are there any other movies with as weird of a detour of a musical moment? And I couldn't find <laughs> something that I really liked, but this has to be up there, like maybe top five, top ten weirdest musical moments in a non musical movie. See, I actually think it makes sense. Like, it's kind of weird, but it makes sense to me. Like, and maybe this is in retrospect, like maybe in 2012, it's not as obvious, but it's like the girls are singing Hit Me Baby One More Time right at the beginning. Like, I don't think they've, have they gotten to spring break yet? I think they have, right? Like I, think, they, I think they had. I think yeah, it's like yeah. right at the beginning. Yeah. So, and that's literally Britney's big song right at the beginning of her career, which is full of, you know kind of really oddly now teenage sexualization <laughs> looking back it was it's kind of weird like she was like what 16 at the time i think when that song came out 15 16 years old um and it's there's so much promise and there's so much optimism and that's what for in the terms of britney spears's career that's what that song meant every time was after her and justin timberlake broke up and there was like a big it just it, it was kind of the beginning of her meltdown um of if I'm if I like the timeline might be a bit messy, but I'm pretty confident that was I know for sure it was after her and, and Timberlake broke up. And then that kind of led her into this kind of few years of absolute chaos where I mean mentally I like I think it's clear she wasn't very well at the time. Um so using that song to me did make sense because these girls are about to go on something big and and not necessarily good, like something kind of negative, which is where the montage of the robberies and that stuff kind of comes in. Like, so to me, it actually makes sense that it was, I think it's weird in that it's James Franco singing every time on a beach in Florida on a random piano. That's just by the beach, by the way. Um, that is, it is kind of odd, but like to me taking a step back. And like I said, right at the beginning of this is, is, the retrospect I think kind of helps of we've had so many years now between now and, and what was going on with Britney's career that it does to me, there's a good parallel there and I can see what he was trying to do. Harmony Corrin was trying to do by picking those two songs specifically. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's actually a really great reading of that. And I appreciate you pointing that out because it's not something I had thought about. So that's you know, excellent. This is what happens when you're young and you like Britney Spears. I guess yeah, cool. I guess that's true. Had no problem. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of curious uh, when you had watched the trailer before the film, you had sort of were messaging me describing it as uh, just angsty white girls. <laughs> do you sort of still feel that the movie was that? Yes, I do. It's very, this is like suburban white girls go wild. Like that's basically what this is. And I know that there's the element of crime, which I don't think a lot of suburban white girls get into. Um, although I think the next movie up is bling ring, isn't it? Which that kind of shows mm -hmm. that that's more suburban white girls being slightly angsty. Um, I do think it, there is that, I mean, I know that I believe it's supposed to be Vanessa Hudgens character is supposed to be like on kind of the other side of the tracks as it were. Um, so there is this element of that, but it, for me, I kind of read it as these are just these middle-class white girls who, um, just want to party and have some fun. And, you know, the, the big thing for why did Faith, Selena Gomez's character want to even go on this trip was she was saying, well, I grew up in this like small town. And I feel like there should be more to the world. And for her, that more meant spring break in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, so it, it, I don't know. For me, I, I still stand by that. It does seem like a movie that is just about angsty suburban white chicks and all the fun they get caught up into. 
Yeah, I don't like, and that's another thing that I didn't really want to get into is like the race thing too, because it is just pure white people in this, you know. And again, I we live in a different time, but it it is. I wonder if that was also purposeful of showing like it's just a bunch of kind of middle class white kids just letting loose in in uh, in over spring break. But I don't, per- I personally, I don't know if there's really much to it, but it is something that you kind of notice um, with a bit of time and a bit of of like retrospect. Yeah, that's that's very true. I wonder if they were to make it today if it would the cast would be a little bit more diverse than uh than just four white girls or I guess three white girls and a latino girl. Oh yeah, Selena Gomez is technically. I mean, if Vanessa Hudgens technically is not I say technically, she's not white either actually, is she? And she's like uh, yeah, half I'm, I'm, she's half Filipino, I know that as much. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. I know yeah. I know so, that she's Maybe. Yeah. But I I feel like though it's almost it works better making it these kind of white let's call them white passing girls um because it just i don't know i don't know how many i don't know how many asian kids were allowed to go on spring break like that let's be completely honest i speak of that from experience like (laughs) i mean there was no way that i would be able to just like oh bye and then i call home later sorry mom haven't called you in a while that would not have happened (laughs) i mean tell you that much Hey there, if you're listening to this podcast ad, first off, you've got great taste in podcasts. Kudos to you. But secondly, you probably like movies, watching them, thinking about them, analyzing them, and reviewing them. And while the tales we see on the big screen do merit discussion, I think that's only half the story. Why do we see so many sequels instead of original films? What determines which films get sequels in the first place? Is there more to the directors making a big hullabaloo about seeing their films in theaters than on streaming? And beyond the obvious social good, why is making more diverse films important? The answer to all these questions and more can be found on my podcast, The Box Office Watch, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. For better or worse, Hollywood is the business, and which films are profitable and which aren't uh, determines what kind of films get greenlit and which ones don't. Each week, I go over the box office charts to understand which films are on that path to profitability and which ones aren't, as well as to understand any major headlines in the movie industry that might affect those bottom lines. I help you understand industry terms like exhibitor splits, multipliers, and per theater averages. And honestly, the story of how a film grew wings and flew at the box office or fumbled around and flopped can sometimes be more engrossing than the actual story on screen, in my opinion. Box Office Watch can be found on all major podcast stores, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, and I hope to catch you there. And remember, our watch goes on. Anyway, shall we get into the double feature and the Would You Rather? Yes, absolutely. So what did you choose for the double feature of uh, spring, with Spring Breakers, rather? All right, well, I couldn't choose between a few movies, uh, and then... <laughs> two of which were actually A24 films, which made them ineligible. So that mm-hmm. kind of helped me a little bit. I thought the the next film in our series, as you mentioned already, The Bling Ring would have made uh, a good fit, yeah. as would have uh, Robert Pattinson's movie Good Time. In the end, Interesting. I noted, Okay. You like that? Interesting. And yeah. <laughs> Bling Ring is very obvious, I would say. I wouldn't have thought yeah. of Good Times, though. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the end, I did narrow it down to two picks, but I'm going to go with... Taxi Driver, the 1976 (laughs) Martin Scorsese film starring Robert De Niro. I chose this film because both movies sort of have an air of dangerousness to them and rely more on gut feelings and themes than actual plot. While Taxi Driver doesn't have the sort of candy-coated neon fever dream look, it does owe a lot of how people feel about it to the lighting design. Both films also feature some narration where they're telling lies to their family members. In Spring Breakers, it is Selena Gomez, I think, calling her grandma to tell her how magical St. Petersburg is. And in Taxi Driver, Travis writes letters to his parents stating that he has a secret government job and a great girlfriend when he has neither. So that's my pick. So I'm I'm curious. I don't know if you've seen Taxi Driver or not, but how you sort of feel about that pairing. Um, uh, It's been a very long time since I've seen Taxi Driver. I watched it, actually. Like, we talk about maybe movies that are not age-appropriate. <laughs> I watched that. I think I was, like, a kid when I saw that movie just because my uncle Definitely wanted to watch it. It was very inappropriate. But, like, again, it's just kind of violence. It wasn't – there's not much sex in that movie, is there? No, I don't think so. No, but there's a child prostitute. I mean, child prostitutes here or there when you're a kid. It's 
no big deal. It's fine. <laughs> um, that's interesting. That's a really, really interesting. I like the connection there of it being like the feeling. Cause I think that, I mean, kind of going full circle to what, how we started this episode about, and this being a very uh, significant waypoint for a 24 as being a movie that went into, it's a feeling like it's, it's not necessarily about plot. It's about feeling. And I would agree. Taxi driver definitely is, you come away from it feeling a certain way rather than, Oh, X, Y, and Z happened. Like, you know, you went from point A to point B. Um, what was your other one though? It would have been the neon demon, the Nicholas winding reference. Oh, with my favorite, uh, Keanu Reeves. Good, good time. That, that, yeah. That's a really good one. That's a really good, that's more, that I think one would have been more for the neon. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a bit more on the nose aesthetically. Like that's one yes. that may be a bit more obvious. That's interesting. Um, my pick is, and I told Dakota, I watched this actually literally right after I watched Spring Breakers because I haven't seen it in a very long time is Wild Things from 1998. Oh, did you I've watch that? You've so never please. seen it. No. Okay. Do you I, know what it's I know about? The cover and I know the scene. Yeah. There's a few, there's but, a couple uh, big, big, <laughs> big scenes that were really big at the time. Do you know what it's about? No, I, I really, I know like nothing about this movie. So it is. Wikipedia will describe it as like a neo-noir um, crime thriller. And I think that makes it sound super sexy and super like interesting. And so it is about, it's about a guidance counselor in a high school, Matt Dillon. Um, I love Matt Dillon, by the way. He's an incredibly underrated actor. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, who is accused of raping one of his students played by Denise Richards. And then a second student played by Nev Campbell um, also accuses him of that. Now, can I spoil it or did you want to watch it? <laughs> no, go ahead. Spoil it. Okay. So, I mean, this is a very old movie, so I'm, it's fine. So what ends up happening is uh, it turns out the three of them have been working together in order to get a settlement from Denise Richards's family, which are like a super, super wealthy family in the Blue Bay area of Florida connections to Spring Breakers. Um, and there's a lot of that, like there's a lot of lies and reveals and twists and turns in it, in that who's actually the one behind this big, let's call it a heist, like getting all this money um, from this family. And it turns out like there's, I'm not going to spoil it. Actually, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. It's just a lot of twists and turns from, from wild things. So that's kind of the crime thriller aspect to it. What wild things is most known for though, is a threesome scene between Nev Campbell Denise Richards and Matt Dillon, and also a lesbian love scene between Denise Richards and Nev Campbell. Um, the reason I'm choosing it is I feel like just as Spring Breakers was a is a good timestamp of how female sexuality and sex in general is being viewed in 2012, I think Wild Things is actually a very good um, similar timestamp for the 90s, like that when the rape charges come there's the police and the uh, other, you know, women and stuff like that kind of don't believe Denise Richards at first. And they're painting them as being the, uh, the, not the victim, like Matt Dillon's character is more the victim in it. Like he, he keeps his job in the school. Like, you know, the principal is, is very sympathetic to him and that kind of thing, which obviously today you wouldn't have that kind of discourse. Um, and I mean, it ends up being all of them are wrong. Uh, because they were all just trying to get money from Denise Richards' family. But I think it's interesting in that sense of just like two different eras, two different viewpoints of it. You also have Nev Campbell, who at the time was a star in Party of Five. And this was a big, big, big departure for her um, in terms of she played like the punk goth kind of girl, the girl on the other side of the tracks, basically. And in Florida terms, that means she lives in the swamp. Um, that gets brought up. That that gets brought up quite a bit. She's from the swamp, and um, you know, a, a she was kind of breaking out of the goody two shoes image that she had built for herself in Party Five, but also in Screen. Like she played Sydney, which was kind of the good girl. Um, so this was a b very big, big departure for, her. and I think very purposely, like she chose it for that. She chose it to push her um, acting career a bit further than just being the good girl. And I would say that would be the same exact same thing for Selena Gomez. Um, 
Vanessa Hudgens, maybe I'm actually not too familiar with Vanessa Hudgens, if I'm completely honest, but I know that she started off doing uh, Disney stuff. So that's why I chose it. I just think that there's like an interesting uh, parallel between the two and just in two very different eras of the time. And also James Franco and Matt Dillon kind of look alike. I didn't really (laughs) think about that, but they have a bit of similarity in the way that they appear. However, I would say Matt Dillon is much more handsome because James Franco is not. Um, but yeah, that that's that's my pick. Wild Things from 1998, a movie that I think again a lot of people I think thought it was very smutty at the time, and probably still think it's a bit smutty. Um, but there was also something behind it in terms of a plot, like that quote unquote neo noir crime thriller. Smutty, I love it. You sound like a, a grandmother, a church grandma. <laughs> Was a smut. Those those young people with their crazy music and their smutty videos. The rock and roll, <laughs> basically. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an old movie now, I guess. But it's always one that I I remember. Actually, we were talking about it before. I remember it because um, we I think I rented it from Jumbo, not knowing what it was, and it was because Nev Campbell was in it, and I liked her. And then when we watched it, and then I think the threesome scene comes on, and then my dad and my mom were like, "No, you guys got to go to bed now." And like they sent me and my brother, <laughs> so I never actually got to watch it when I wanted to. And then when I was probably in university, I think I tracked it down, and then that's the first time that I actually saw the whole thing. And there is a bit of male nudity in Wild Things, courtesy of Ke- oh. courtesy of Kevin Bacon. Very fleeting. Of course, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Kevin Bacon loves to show Don. Well, the funniest thing about that was his contract for that movie said uh, no nudity. He had a no nudity clause in it, and so the scene where he shows um, shows the dong, as you so eloquently put it, um, he he's in a shower and he comes out, and Matt Dillon's supposed to like throw him a towel. From what I gather, is the way that he was supposed to throw him the towel. It's meant to like cover him up. Uh, but there was one take that it just, it didn't cover him up. Um, and the director wanted to use that take. And Kevin Bacon agreed to it. He said, it's fine. He said, well, I think his thing was like, how do I look? And the guy was like, yeah, you, you look good. And he was like, all right, use it then. If I look good, it's fine. You look big. Yeah, it's fine. You're, It's impressive. <laughs> you look impressive, Mr. Bacon. <laughs> um, and then he was saying that during the press junket, when they did the European press junket, literally nobody brought it up. But then when he did the American press junket, that was all anybody ever wanted to ask him about, which he thought was really funny. And he was saying that he was like an advocate of more male frontal nudity. He was like, we don't have that enough, which I agree with. I think like, not that I want to see more dongs on the screen, but it's more of just let's, if we're going to show a bunch of boobs and, and that kind of thing, like let's, let's, let's show a bunch of penises. Why not? Yeah, like why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it as well. Why not? Like it's, I feel like we're a bit too we're a bit too like stuck up sometimes in uh, in North America when it comes to sex. And I feel like we should go more the European route, despite me saying the word smutty a few times. Um, <laughs> so moving on, what would your, would you rather? All right. So would you rather spring break or reading week as is often called in Canada mm-hmm. is uh, usually the best time for students to get away from the rigors of university and college and, and have a bit of fun before you sort of hunker down for the rest of the semester. Since we are both in Canada, I want to give you two options that if you were still in school, where would you rather go? Assuming all expenses are paid. Would you rather go to Montreal, where you stay in a swanky hotel, hit up the great nightlife, and finish the night with some delicious poutine or smoked meat? Or would you rather go to Banff and stay in a cozy chalet with a roaring fireplace, hitting the slopes, and enjoying winter activities while dining at steakhouses? Both are cold Canadian options, as that's all we have in February and March, (laughs) but both are still great getaways. What do you choose? I would go Banff. I'm a Banff girl. I knew you would. Yeah, I'm Banff. I'm not. I mean, I had my moments in university. I think as as most people did when they went to like university or college. It's like you you have your time of going out and being young and having fun. But in general, I've always been a bit of a stick in the mud. So <laughs> if you tell me either be in a nightclub or be in, I don't know what, like, I guess like a chalet, like after you go snowboarding or whatever. I would take that. And I also like snowboarding. Yep. So that, that would have been, 
I feel like, yeah, and it's pretty. Banff is pretty. Not that Montreal's not. I like Montreal too, but I go Banff. What about you? I probably would go Montreal. Yeah. I, I, I used to snowboard as a kid and then I got hurt and it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> and so I haven't been snowboarding since I was a very young, although now I'm out by the mountains. I want to try it again. Yes. But I've had a lot of fun in Montreal. I have known a bunch of people that lived out there. So it was always easy to like find a couch to crash on when I was out there. And but you said a bunch of times. You said lavish hotel though. It wouldn't be couch surfing. Yes. You would have like a nice hotel in Montreal. Oh, I know, I know. I, this is this is me just saying that like my experience is so far with Montreal. So I would, I probably would go there. And and I, and I know you're you're not as much of a drinker as, as I guess am outing myself to being. Uh, but there is there is nothing better than a good drunk poutine. You could get like wasted at, like i mean a lot of people who go skiing and snowboarding afterwards like you just spend the night being drunk basically mm-hmm. right like, yeah yeah I, oh i and i do love a good fine red wine so i would definitely enjoy <laughs> that uh, or some other hot alcoholic beverages that's so like you're like yeah you get really really drunk i do enjoy a really nice fine red wine though it's like, <laughs> so classy you're such a classy drinker I uh, a little bit sometimes I'm a, a I can be a bit of a wine snob. That's very funny. I personally don't like the taste of wine, so there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you got hit me up with your question. Okay. So um, just as I think I asked you and Ginger and Rosa a question from like a female perspective, um, I'm gonna do the same thing here because it's spring breakers and that's kind of the point. Would you rather if you were in their shoes and you went to spring break in Florida and you were maybe not committing crimes or whatnot, but like you basically were spending a week in St. Petersburg or Daytona, whatever. Would you rather have to wear a bikini the entire time or have to wear high heels the entire time? So in high heels, you can dress however you want to dress, shorts, t-shirts, whatever, but you have to wear the heels. Or if you wear a bikini all the time, you can wear runners, flip-flops, whatever. Uh, Bikini. Really? And the reason, yeah, the reason being is uh, one of the music festivals that I, I've been to a few times is one called Bonnaroo. It's in Tennessee mm-hmm. and it takes place in June and it's about uh, 35 degrees starting at 7 a.m. And it stays that hot till about 10 p.m. where it dips down to about like 30 degrees. And in when you're in that sort of weather and in that atmosphere, no one cares what you look like it's all about being comfortable and comfortable is wearing as little as possible so as a guy i only wear uh shorts no shirt all the girls usually usually have like either bathing suit tops or or sports bras or things like that and clothes that would resemble the the type of clothes worn in spring breakers but the the flip side is you need to have comfortable shoes because you're on your feet all day Mm -hmm. and people that don't wear comfortable shoes end up getting really sore feet blisters things like that or you can cut yourself and so if if i can choose whatever comfortable runners i want to be in while also being in a bikini i'm going that route in that heat where I'm also by like the beach and the water and I'm probably getting wet and need something that's going to dry because have you ever been in like jeans and you get caught in the rain oh, it's or the worst. whatever and it just it's the worst the worst the, it's the worst, worst. It's the worst. Yeah, De- and like, denim and, and and rain or any like yeah. water it doesn't work yeah and I like wearing denim shorts I'm a jorts guy <laughs> uh same same thing you don't want to get those wet because then you're just kind of miserable yeah. and wet shorts all day so I'm I'm definitely going if I'm in St. Petersburg where it's probably going to be north of 30 degrees, probably close to 40 degrees on some days, I'm going to be comfortable. I thought you were going to say it's cuz you look great in a bikini. Like that's what you're that like. That too. You're beach body ready. Every oh, like 100 365 days in the year, beach body ready. Yes. Dakota yes. Arsenal. The Dakota Arsenal story. Please do not look me up. <laughs> this is great. Um <laughs> You? I would agree with you. I would go bikini just and, and not simply because I didn't put that much thought into it and more so of uh, I hate wearing high heels. It's the most uncomfortable thing <laughs> in the entire world. Like, have you have you ever worn heels? Like, have you ever put a pair of heels on? No, but no? I can imagine. And I've definitely heard more than enough women around me um, extol it is the, uh, pain. The absolute worst. Like, it's so uncomfortable. I don't know. I see some girls. There's one friend of mine who sometimes I'll meet up with her for lunch and she just wears high heels 
And I don't know why she does that because I'm wearing running shoes. So it's not like we're going anywhere fancy, but she just likes wearing them. Cause she is, she's a bit shorter. I'm pretty short, but she's shorter than me even. Um, but it is so uncomfortable. I just don't know how, how women in general wear high heels because there are other options out there now. And I feel like we should embrace those because high heels are worst bikini would be shitty as well just because it would be kind of uncomfortable like being on show but i feel like i I guess similar to what you're saying about like the bonnaroo experiences after a while you just don't care anymore and you just kind of get used to to wearing a bikini um and if it is that hot out you know probably not that bad um i mean i would rather you jump into the water yeah 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 i suppose you know I would, I mean, I would rather not have to do either, to be honest. But in that situation, yeah, I would go bikini over high heels any day because high heels are, they're like devil devil footwear. Yes, Dakota. Rachel, would it not be more feminist to say that women that want to wear heels all the time are in their absolute right to do so? Yeah, and I'm in my right to look at them and think that they are batshit crazy for wanting to wear high heels all the time. (laughs) All right. Listen. Does your friend listen to this show? I don't know. Actually, I should maybe see. I should I should ask her if she ever has. But should you call her out by name? I have I have commented to her many times like why are you wearing high heels? <laughs> like we're we're at milestones like you don't need to wear high heels. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, you know, if we're going somewhere fancy, I understand. Yeah, but yeah. Like I literally met up with her once to go to Yorkdale to eat at the food court and she wore high heels. So Wow. It's it's like, you know, you see sometimes you see women wearing high heels um on a plane. And if you're going for a business meeting, I kind of get it, but at the same time I go, you got a bag, you could just throw your heels in there and wear some comfy shoes on the way over. Um but I I've seen people who just are like clearly about to go on a, a beach vacation and they're wearing heels on the plane, which I just find why? Cuz your your feet will puff up on the plane too. So when you try to put them back on, it's not going to be very comfortable. I'm a very comfort over style kind of person. Well, I guess there you have it. What a great place to uh, end this. What a great way to end this episode. Right? Yes. But, you know, I think that was a really great discussion of of this movie. You know, I think we, we touched on a lot of very interesting themes. And uh, much like the actual movie, our conversation didn't really have a point. It was really about how we felt. Does it ever have a point though? Let's be let's be completely honest I here. Don't know. Like let's be honest now. Does it do we ever really have a point or are we just expressing how we feel about something? Yes, yes. Uh all right. Well, I think that should wrap up this week's episode. Rachel, what have you been working on and where can people find you? You can find me as always, rachelkh.com and on Twitter and Instagram, underscore rachelkh. Uh, the thing I think I next got up will be a review for The Last Duel, which is actually, that's like kind of got like a feminist bent to it as well. There you go. Um, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer. Very good movie, actually. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, that should be coming out on Exclaim, I think, Monday or Tuesday great okay if it's out i will make sure to link to that into the show notes you can follow the show on instagram twitter and facebook at contrazoompod and if you've seen spring breakers let us know your thoughts on it send an email to contrazoompod at gmail.com thank you to eric and kevin smale for the theme music and to stephanie Pryor for the logo design if you like to listen to podcasts on youtube we do post all episodes there too thanks for checking us out saying something do you just want to do it again sure